In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We're continuing our series about idols we never knew we had. So what we're working on in this is not idols that um, are very obvious, like bowing down to a carved image. We said that's not something that appeals to most people. Instead, we're looking at idols that aren't even the most common. If you'd ask someone just on the street, you go to the mall or something like that, and you'd say, what are the number one idols that people have or things that they worship? I think people would probably say money or material possessions, things like that. So we're working a little bit on a different plane of things that you maybe never thought of. And so our first ones that we looked at just last week was success. And this one identifies uh, with me and in my life, and maybe I'm guessing because your life is going to be wired in a similar fashion. Most of us don't think of our lives as one that fails no matter what we do. And most of us don't look at our own skills and think, no matter what I do, I'm like Midas and it's just gold. I don't think there's too many people. I mean, in some areas you say, like, I'm remarkably talented, you might say that. But for most areas, you're saying, I've got to fit in category two, which is saying, I leverage the gifts that God has given me. And if I do that, I'll find some success. I think that would be the majority of people here. You've got natural gifts. You leverage those gifts. That's how I see my own life. And so what that means is you've got a limited amount of gifts. You don't have an un, like this giant vat of gifts that you can just keep using your skills. You've got a limited amount of knowledge. You've got a limited amount of IQ. You've got a limited amount of speed, stamina, energy, looks. You know, every single thing is predetermined in some level that you can stretch those as far as you can. And so that's how we see success. So in my mind, um, and I got a lot of feedback from last week's sermon. A lot of people said that meant something to them. They hadn't thought of it that way. And so I appreciate that. And uh, I thought this was going to be kind of hit a few people. But uh, as we talked even in our grow group, this seems to be a universal thing. Now, your goals might be different. And the things you're trying to get better at or have success at might be different. But each one of us struggles with this idea of wanting to succeed in this world. It's just different. And so I think that one hit home. Uh, today, though, we're going to look at love. And love is a, a difficult one because whenever you talk about idolatry, you're talking about love. And because what we're talking about is you love something more than you ought. So whenever we talk idolatry, we're talking love. So you could say all idolatry is love. So it's St. Augustine who said that uh, idolatry is really disordered loves. Have you heard that phrase before, disordered loves? Because um, I went to, uh, I got a chance to present in uh, Austin, I went to a missionary conference, and this is one of the activities that we did that I had recently done myself. So has anyone done like strength finders to find your skills? Okay, so any teacher has done that, I'm sure. This is what you do. Um, so one of my friends did it, one of my best friends did it. My wife did it the exact same day, so they're both talking to me about strengths, and I haven't done it for a couple of years. But this is a little bit different. This is done by a guy named Michael Hyatt, and I had to hide the name because I think it's so dorky. It's called the Freedom Compass. Really? But, but, but it made sense to me because it's not doing like all this. You're not asking yourself all these questions to say like, okay, what am I good at? I think most of you know what you, you're good at and what you like to do. Is this a big surprise to anyone, what you're pretty good at and what you like to do? I, I think most of you know these things, all right? And if you don't, um, I guess that's a gift in itself. Now, I mean, self-assessment is a skill in, in itself, but most of us have a pretty good idea. If you've lived on the planet more than like 20 years, you have a pretty good idea. So desire zone up here, I'm not going to spend too much time. 
is what you're passionate about and what you're pretty good at. So I think I'm reasonably decent at a pastor. I really enjoy it, so I'd put that in. That's something I want to do. Um, date night with my wife is something I want to do. Well, I probably should. I'm not necessarily proficient at it, so maybe it should be down here. Okay. Um, being with my kids, some of my favorite things to do. Skiing, um, that should maybe be down there too a little bit. But so, so what you're trying to do is identify the things you really love to do. And if you only had a limited amount of time to do a, a certain amount of things, you, if you could just cross things off, you would, right? If your job, they gave you and said, what would you like to do and not do? And you had veto power, is there things you would cross off? You can't cross off the whole job, right? There's things you'd cross off. There's things in my job I would cross off. So I'm speaking to these pastors and I'm talking about it. I, like I said, I enjoy preaching and I enjoy uh, like creative ways to, to come up with sermons. I enjoy teaching Bible class. I had down in my drudgery zone writing Bible class. And like you could almost hear the audible gasp. We're like, oh, no pastor should not like working in God's word. It, this is hard for me. It takes me hours to write these Bible classes, and my friend can write them in 45 minutes. Just like that. And, and he's like, oh yeah, I just wrote my Bible study questions. I'm like, what? what? Weren't you just talking to me? And you know, like that's what he, so for me, that's really a challenge. And so the whole point of all this is, you're supposed to spend as much time as possible for energy and things like that, and what you're good at, and what you really love, and figure out ways to find other people that have a passion for the things that you're not necessarily so good at, okay? All right, so if I was the music leader for this church, that would not be good. That would be down in the grind zone. Kale is especially good at it, so that would, guess, in his passion zone. Does this all make sense? So why do I bring this up? This is not my whole list. I mean, mine is like squeezed in the edges of that triangle. I've got a few things in the other things, uh, the disinterest zone and things like that, like uh, fantasy football is over there. I mean, I, I, you know, I do it, but I'm like Ron Peel. I said it and I forget it. And then, um, so over here, that's packed full of things I love to do. And time is a zero-sum game, which means in order for you to say yes to the things you love, you have to say no to other stuff. You cannot say yes to everything. And so that's the whole point of this exercise. So why do I bring this up? Because as human beings, it's, it's not like God comes to you and says, okay, love me, hate everything else. Do you see that anywhere in the Bible? We just, we just read it. Jesus says, a new command I give you. He doesn't say like each other. He says love each other. Um, it, the Old Testament says the same thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God has made you with a high capacity to love stuff. And that's a good thing, right? So you can just, what would be on your list? You could have date night and your spouse and your kids. You could say, I love Amazon Prime. I love wooden puzzles. I love Legos. I love, you know, like um, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. You know, like I've got a whole, I got a song I could sing for that, right? So there's all these things we love. And so that's not the problem. The problem isn't loving stuff. So it's okay to love those things. The problem is this, disordered love. And there's a real close, all these passions, and, and in a positive way, we love people, and we love things, and we love stuff, but God says it's, it's a real slight shift when that thing becomes something that tries to fulfill you, then we change the name. We worship it. And so what God is saying when, when we talk about idols is not don't love stuff, He's saying, make sure this, this order is correct, that you love me and worship me only. You can love all that other stuff, but make sure I'm number one. How does this get, we've got to work on some definitions a little bit more. 
So the love I'm talking about today is not necessarily the love of things or stuff. That's every idol. What we're talking about today is trying to find fulfillment in a heart that's filled up with someone else loving you. So that, it's a little bit different. So it's this desire for someone to love me and fulfill me up. So it's a little bit different. That's like romantic love, very different from you just loving something. So I'm not going to come and talk, don't love someone too much. I'm saying this can drive our life. So um, I used to drive lumber trucks. You guys knew that. Not lumber trucks that are cool with like actual big logs in them. So I used to, um, so I got a summer job. This is going to be a longer story than necessary, but it'll make a point eventually. Um, so I, I had a summer job. My first summer job was slinging custard. That's what I do. I make the custard cones. And I've told you about how I made the 19 scooper for the 80-year-old lady one time. Right? I've told you that story. All right. So these are, okay. Now I'll tell that. Now this illustration is becoming longer. So there's an 80-year-old lady about, so I'm scooping custard and she said she wanted the large cone. And the cone itself was this big. I told you this, right? So the cone itself is this big. And um, so I'm talking to her and she's like, oh, I want the large. I'm like, the large is pretty big. She's like, I want the large. I'm like, okay. So while I'm making conversation, I keep stacking the custard. So it was like this tall. When I came around, I'm like, would you like anything else? She's like, oh my goodness. I'm like, I'm just messing with you. I just mess with you. So that was the extent of the fun at the custard job. That was it. Like that's, I just shared with you two and a half years of working at the custard stand. Um, so eventually we tried, our whole goal in the summer is not to find a fun job. Our goal in the summer was to make as much money as possible. That was my goal so I could pay for school. And we saw a job to work at the lumber yard, and the name of the lumber yard was Stock Lumber. And at Stock Lumber, I literally stocked lumber. That's what I did. The, the pallets would come in, and we would take it, and we would put it away. As I said, our goal was not a fun job. It was to make as much money as possible. So at this point, I made $6 an hour, which is huge money at that time. It was double what I made at the custard stand. But I'm doing this job, and I'm thinking, this is, this is a terrible job. I don't like this at all, sweeping and stocking lumber. And our whole goal was to escape. So the lumber yard would deliver, and our goal was always to try and get off the yard. So we would not like literally like sneak off, but um, I'd be like, hey, need a delivery? Anyone need to deliver anything with the pickup truck? Anyone forget anything? You know, and I'd, just, I'd sit and kind of hound my supervisor all the time. His name was Steve Carroll, and he's like, fine, go make this delivery. And then I'd come back, and I thought, you know what? I've got to get in here. Because there's only two out of 20 trucks you can drive with a normal license. So I'm 16 years old, and um, I apply to get my commercial driver's license. And they didn't even know this. So I'm going through the paperwork, and I said, I already got my permit. Can I go and take the test to get my... And they're like, you did what? I'm like, you always need drivers. So they actually let me get my commercial driver's license at the lumber yard. So I'm the only summer guy who gets this. Is this is just so I can enjoy my job and make money. So they have to give me a raise, too. This is the best part. So... And I drove all the trucks in the whole lot, um, delivered giant trusses and uh, the boom truck. Have you ever seen those where they deliver sheetrock with a big arm? And yeah, totally unsafe. It's not something a non-particular guy should be doing. Um, I didn't kill anyone or myself, so it worked out okay. Uh, I've got stories about dropping things, but... <clears throat> and mailboxes. You know, mailboxes, you know, they're, they're cheap. You can get new ones. Um, so uh, what I would do, though, is we... This is before GPS, I'm just waiting for the kids to have that register. This is before GPS, or the GPS units would have been like this big, right, in, in fighter planes. So our, we had no GPS, and all we had was county maps. And they would tell us, like, go to this new job site. And these are not houses a lot of times. This is like a piece of dirt on some county road. And the roads are labeled, like, County Trunk L. 
and then it would just have some series of numbers. And so you'd have to try and go with handmade maps and find these places. Do you think I ever got lost? Okay, a couple times. All right, but what, what would happen, though, is there, there would be this heightened, does this ever happen to you when you're late for something? Like, let's say you're going to the airport even with a GPS, and the GPS says, okay, there's traffic ahead. In your mind, you try and outsmart the GPS, and you think, okay, if I take this side road and I go really fast, maybe I can, and you do all this, all these turns, and then you come out, and it's like six minutes slower than it would have been if you just followed the GPS. So that's exactly what I would do, and each wrong turn I made would become more and more frantic. And so it was, it's a casual pace normally at the lumberyard. And then I'd make a wrong turn, and then I'd be like, okay, I gotta go faster to make up time for the Y turn I just had to make on this thing with a, you know, like a 50-foot boom truck. So then I'd go faster down the road, then I'd miss my turn, and then I'd go a little bit faster, and a little bit faster, and, and instead of being safe and getting there, it just compounded itself, so soon I had to just stop and say, this is not good. Here's the point. There's people who long to be filled up in relationships, and I think you could probably name a woman that you know, and I'll, use, I'll go through the whole genders, but uh, you can name a woman you know who has made wrong turn and then another wrong turn and another wrong turn, and each time it becomes more and more frantic with a desire to find that right person that somehow is going to make them feel complete. The opposite end of the scale on that same thing, I, I think you've met a woman who would very easily tell you in the first five minutes of your conversation that all men are trash. They, they've been hurt, they've been scarred, they've made a few wrong turns, and in, in the, in the, they don't sit back and think what's the best thing here. They've dove into situations and they're hurt. Now, where does this happen on the guy end of things? Um, we'll cover both today. On the guy end of things, you'll see uh, a man who, uh, instead of real intimacy and love, they, they say, okay, I'm going to find my fulfillment in the dark watching the internet. Or you'll find a guy who is so consumed about this romantic love that he has and he doesn't want to ruin this or lose it that he doesn't lead his family like he should. And essentially they say, hey, whatever my wife says is how it's going to go. All of these, they sound very different, fit in that same perspective. 2010, uh, a pop artist named Kesha wrote a song that says, your love is my drug. And if you listen to the words of the song, I'm not saying they're approved and we're not going to listen to the words of the song, but essentially it's self-medication of finding romantic love to feel fulfilled. She's not the first person to do that. And that's what we're looking at today. So here's our situation. It's um, Genesis chapter 29. And here's our description of Leah and Rachel. So uh, I'll back up a little bit. Abraham, um, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons. They're twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob now runs away because um, it's really not a good family situation. His dad loved his brother much more than he loved him. And if you know the same story, his mother loved Jacob more than she loved him. So um, he goes to find a wife, and we read that in a reading. So Leah had weak eyes, as I've uh, we've talked about before. Some have tried to say that just means she has bad vision. What do you think? Here's the, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel could see very well. So <laughs> I do not think that's the situation. I think they're trying to say very, in a biblical way, that she was homely, and that in another way, that Rachel was very pretty. I think they got that pretty accurately. So Jacob's in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you seven years to her father, 
in return for your younger daughter, Rachel, Laban said. It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. That's the exact conversation I had with Amy's dad when I asked if I could marry. <laughs> Who talks like this to their dad? The next paragraph says, <laughs> Laban dropkicked Jacob in the head. And I'm like, like, if a guy comes to me and says this when he wants to marry my daughter, he will, um, we might have a commercial driving accident. <laughs> we'll get back to that in a second. Um, so the morning comes, and there was Leah. We're not going to talk about the, how is that even possible. So Jacob said to Laban, uh, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, I finished this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So this is the part I always emphasize. As a kid, I thought seven years and then seven years, but it's weirder than that. He gets married, and a week later, you know, they just go through the celebration. He gets married again. That's what it certainly seems like. And so now he is with both of them, um, with, married to the same person as your sisters. Imagine, it's hard to share a room, much less a husband. Um, so Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave him his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. What a great joy that would be. And you can think of the names um, as you think of names the Browns are going to induce tomorrow. That's super exciting. So um, here's some names possibly. Reuben. Because <laughs> Julie looked to the sky and said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again. I mean, this is a year period, years of period. And then when he gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Doesn't your heart go out? I'm guessing Leah is like a type two person, right? I mean, she knows she's not the prettiest. I mean, this is not news. I mean, there's, maybe they don't have mirrors in that day, but they've got water, and you can look, and every, you can see if people pay attention. You know, she doesn't have the greatest looks. And somehow, I mean, imagine that conversation. Her dad's like, tell you what, we're going to give you to Jacob to be married next week. And she's like, wait, what? And so she gets forced into this marriage. Very obviously, her husband doesn't even love her. And doesn't your, your heart breaks because she tries so hard just to get him to love her. Maybe if I have a son, and that's a big deal in that culture, maybe if I have another son, maybe if I have a third son, he's really going to love me. And there's just this emptiness and this pit in your stomach. But he doesn't. He doesn't care. The other side of it, the other side of it, and, and this longing, and, and we're going to come from Leah's side, this longing to have someone fulfill her by loving her. 
And the other side of it, you see Jacob's. I mean, men and women are built very differently. And I, I, women want to be swept off their feet. And I think women want to be cherished. And women love romantic movies and Nicholas Sparks. And there, there's no guy who watches that stuff. There's no guy who goes to school and says, I hope I get swept off my feet. No, this does not happen. Guys, guys are wired a little bit differently. And guys want to be looked up to. They want to be respected. And sometimes that shows itself in its desire for physical fulfillment. And I, I show that in that conversation that Jacob had with her dad. What an odd conversation. Give me my wife. I want to make love to her. Give her to me. I want physical fulfillment. And when you read about what steps he took to make that possible, doesn't it almost sound like addiction? What if I just told you, okay, I know someone who loves something so much they'd work for uh, seven years for it, then 14 years, and they would give up $500,000. They'd work this entire time, and they're obsessed with it, and the time just flies by because that's all they think about. That's what's driving them. It sounds like addiction. It sounds like something that's completely cooking, taken over and controlled their life. And what addiction does he want? It doesn't seem like he's saying, I want to build a house and create a family and have this lovely relationship. Instead, he says, I want physical fulfillment. So why do I bring these two sides to the coin up? In human relationships, in human relationships, whether it's one that goes all the way back, um, that one got mixed up. If it one that goes all the way back to the way that your dad showed approval to you and you long to be approved by someone, Jacob looks and it's only his mother that loves him. Is that the deal? I don't know. But a woman's longing to be loved and cherished and a husband's longing to be um, satisfied, they, they collide. And they collide hard. And the, in the world that we live in, when we're talking about love, you can see what people are willing to do. Did you see what Leah was willing? She, she just longed to say, if I just had a child, then he's going to love you. How many relationships have you seen where someone, a girl, is willing to compromise what she knows is right so that that person might love her? How many relationships do you see where they, they jump in and they move in together and she knows this is not what I want to be doing? I met a, a couple. Uh, they don't live around here anymore, but I met a couple. They were living together. They weren't married and uh, because of insurance, they were living together because of the insurance benefits. And I just sat down and said, no woman, no woman wants a, an agreement like this. They want to be cherished and loved. And you know what? Who cares about insurance? We're going to take a risk together and we're going to move forward. They got married. You know, that we see physically, how many relationships do you see a woman that says, okay, uh, my husband's desire, what if I was just a little bit prettier? or I looked a little bit younger, or I was a little bit bustier, a little bit thinner, then he would love me. If I'm a little bit more wild, if I let him do his thing, if I let him not come home and be a real dad, then will he love me? And on the other side, you see the same thing, don't you? You see husbands that just want to be fulfilled. And they say, okay, I'm going to turn on the internet, I'm going to go to this show, and you see this colliding, a wife who says, I do not want you to go to Twin Peaks or whatever place, but says, hey, boys will be boys. But inside, she's just so afraid that if she just says, I don't want this crap in our marriage, that he's going to walk out. And so you see this collide, and you see this even in the office. You see a girl go pick up her daughters with yoga pants on, saying, I like the idea that other spouses want me to be their spouse. 
And you see the same thing with Guy, who's the sensitive guy at the office who listens to all the ladies and is kind and writes emails. And he likes the idea that all these ladies say, I wish this was my spouse. I wish my husband took me on dates like this. I wish my husband did this for me. I wish my husband sent me flowers. I wish my husband did this. And it's the same guy who goes to the ladies who does not need advice and says, hey, what do you think I should do for my wife? These things collide, and they collide hard. A husband who is desiring physical fulfillment and desire and a wife who wants to be loved and cherished and cared for, these things collide. There's a breaking point. She conceives again, and she gives birth to a son. She's tried everything. You know, she's made wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. She's tried, and she's tried, and she's tried. She's done everything she can. He's doing all this other stuff and this marriage, and you can, you can see relationships like this, and maybe your relationship is like this, and you just need an honest talk to say, this is what I need as a human being. I need you to not do this, and I need you to do this in my life. And the other person says, this is what I need you to do in my life. I need you to not do this, and I need you to do this because I just want to be loved. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be respected, and I want to lean on each other and love, Leah gave up. This time, I'll praise the Lord. I give up. And so she names him Judah, and she stopped having children. Judah has kids, and there's more kids, and they're not good marriages. There's some messes in there. But one of those children is perfect. One of those children is the Christ, and one of those children grows up and says, I'll fulfill you. A human cannot do this for you. Jesus says, I'll fulfill you. Your spouse cannot fill you up. Your spouse cannot make you feel whole. Your spouse cannot make you feel fully respected. You have to lean down and say, Christ, this is it. And Christ says, I walk on this earth and in spite of who you are, not because of who you are, I love you. I accept you. You're loved. Only then, in forgiveness, in love, can you say to each other, I'm a terrible husband. I'm a lousy spouse. I'm a lousy wife. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And in an illustration I've said before, the strongest marriages aren't the ones where they never fight. The strongest marriages is where that rope has almost been cut and it's retied. And it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And you've made it through troubles. And you can say, I am sorry I did this. I'm sorry I objectified you as a husband. And you could say to your wife, I'm sorry I never cherished you like I should have. And closer and closer, only built on the rock and acceptance of Christ, can you forgive each other and move forward. And not give up, but instead lean on the Lord and say, now I praise the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we made a whole lot of wrong turns. Every single one of us who's been in a relationship has made a lot of wrong turns. Uh, but we're asking that we have a heart that doesn't seek fulfillment from someone else, that doesn't willing to bend and push and not do anything just because we're so afraid they won't love us. Instead, we know we're already accepted. We're already loved because of you. So in that confidence, in this confidence, let's be honest with our spouse, honest with each other, and say, this is um, what I would like to do. I want to love and cherish you. And one that says, I want to respect and love and desire you. And that in this, uh, we see the perfect model of your bride, the church, and the way that you love the church, and the way you're willing to give itself, yourself up for it. 
Let that be our model, a model of forgiveness, one that says we're fully accepted no matter who we are, and we can just grow closer and closer and closer to you and ultimately build this amazing foundation that, uh, that isn't going to give us more than we think. It's a foundation that's going to give us uh, more than we ever imagined. We ask this in your holy name, the one that forgives us. Amen.